Well, praise the Lord. Like this great mug they got me? If I drink that much water, I'm going to have to leave halfway through the service. <laughs> Just get to a certain age, right? So, praise the Lord. Good to see everybody here today. For those of you who haven't been here, there's so many new faces that um, I'm Pastor Morris Watson. My wife, Lucinda, is down here in the, what used to be the front row. And uh, just let me get organized here. And um, we came ten and a half years ago to Chilliwack and um, nine and a half years ago found this building. And we've been working away at it ever since. And um, I was just thinking about this while I was uh, standing down front here, that it was uh, almost exactly two years ago, Pastor Matt, that um, we came to an arrangement to, uh, <laughs> to get you over here. It was the men's conference, and so that would have been like last week. And so we, we had a meeting at our men's conference in Lake Louise, talked about it, and then I think it was like December 3rd or something, we finalized it, and six weeks later, uh, Pastor Rudy and Steph were here, and two months later, Pastor Matt and Charmaine were here with all the kids. And so that was just an incredible milestone for us. And um, I was just thinking about this because the day they arrived, it flooded. The day they arrived, it flooded, and they couldn't even get to church that first Sunday because they were stuck out at Cultus Lake. And, um, and I went down into the, the Sunday school area to get something and stepped into water that came up over my ankles, and I kind of knew we were in trouble about that moment. And um, the sumps had failed, and the water was rising, and I made some phone calls, and Jared is over here. Um, he found us a, a pump, a three-inch pump, and we began pumping like crazy, and we managed to keep the water level down, but not down far enough that we didn't have to have a major insurance restoration downstairs. So that took several months to get that all done and cleaned up, and I mean, it was just was kind of... One thing after another, wasn't it? The day Pastor Rudy and Steph got here was like the biggest snowfall in two years. Uh, and, and Monday morning, I was heading for Regina to uh, go to a bunch of executive meetings and minister at a men's conference out there. And as I was driving, I got to about number three road, and the traffic was backed up, and I thought, what in the world is going on here? It shouldn't be the time of day that that should be happening. You know, maybe an hour earlier or two hours earlier, but... I'm driving along and then I realize that the water and the sumas is starting to smash against the bridge. And I thought, this is not a good sign. And I got past there and the ditches were full, maybe about a foot from coming up on the Trans-Canada. And I got to the airport, just barely got there in time to catch my plane. And some people came in and said, I don't think we're going anywhere, they just closed the Trans-Canada. And I thought, my goodness, what happened since I got here? So it was later that day before we got out. I, I was supposed to be in Regina at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I got there at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I uh, had our first meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning. And, um, and then last night, it's like, what is it with planes in me these days? But uh, they parked us on the tarmac. And I don't know if they couldn't find the guys that had to de-ice the plane or what, but maybe they're off having lunch or coffee or something. But we sat there in the tarmac for an hour waiting for these guys to come and de-ice the plane. And they did it once. And then they thought, oh, that wasn't good enough. We better do it again. And what are you guys doing? I got to get home. So, but uh, praise the Lord. Um, 
by Wednesday, I was starting to think, I might not make it home. So I set out a warning to Pastor Matt and said, you may want to get prepped to preach. I don't know. I don't know. And so then my wife said, it just, it's not looking good. Why don't you call Celeste? Because she works for the traffic people. And so I sent Celeste a text and she got back to me and she said, it's okay, we'll get you through. So I thought, well, I guess no matter what, I'm getting home. I'm getting home. And so, but by last night, of course, it was open both two lanes, both directions on the seven. Took an hour and a half to get home from the Abbotsford Airport. That was kind of interesting. But anyway, at three o'clock in the morning again or 2.30 in the morning. But uh, we're here today and you're here today. And it looks like um, some of our Abbotsford people maybe aren't here, but praise the Lord, you're here. And, uh, and so today, I want to talk about kingdomology. Pastor Matt has been doing a, a great job the last couple of weeks talking about kingdomology. When he first threw that title at me, I was like, kingdomology, okay. And I wrote it down on my computer, said there was no such word. <laughs> so, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm a little OCD, you know, like, you know, like I have to straighten the legs on this. So they're square with the world so I can preach, you know. And, uh, and so I was, uh, I was looking at this word, you know, and it had a red line under it all the time. I was like, oh, I just can't. You know, I was trying to put my message together and I kept gravitating back to this red line under kingdomology. I was like, I, can't, I just can't deal with this. I had to break it into two words. Kingdom, quotation marks, ology. And the little red line went away and I got anointed again. And so, but you know, every kingdom that has ever existed displayed its own culture, hasn't it? Like all around the world. It doesn't matter. Color and race isn't the issue most of the time. The issue ends up being culture. We do things this way. We do things this way. And culture becomes a huge factor when we're dealing with people and working with people. And I decided a long time ago that, that, that culture generally follows the king. Amen? The kings set the culture. If you read through, you know, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, you will find that the kings set the culture for the country every single time. When, when the king was godly, the country became godly. When the king was ungodly, the country became ungodly. And, and you just watch that over and over and over again. And you see that throughout our societies today. If, if the king is liberal, the whole nation becomes liberal. If the king is conservative, the whole nation becomes conservative. It's just the way it works. And I'm not talking political ideology. I'm talking about in, in culture and respect to how they lead and govern. Um, so this is true, not just of, of governments, but it's true of, of families and tribes. How many of you have, uh, have ever watched Blue Bloods? It's okay. I won't try to cast the devil out of you. Blue Bloods, you know, this, it's, it's a family. If you don't know what Blue Bloods is, Blue Bloods is a, a, a family that's committed to law enforcement. Uh, most of the children are, are um, either retired uh, police officers in New York or uh, functioning working police officers. The daughter is like a crown prosecutor. You know, she's a prosecutor, works in the DA's office. So this family is committed to law enforcement. It is a culture in their family, but they have a family culture as well where they have a Sunday dinner. 
And that is just a culture of the family. Anybody that marries into the family, comes into the family, gets invited into the family dinner. This is part of the culture. So your family would have a culture. Our family has a culture. And so cultures, the world is really made up of them, and, and it's made up of families. The world's made up of families, and they developed their cultures. They became tribes. And as they spread out across the world, they took their cultures with them or developed them in their new places. And we see this oftentimes, that, that as people connected and, and had problems, it generally wasn't a matter of skin color as much as it was a matter of culture. They did not understand one another. Why do you do that? Well, we do it because. You know, you've heard the story of, of the woman who cut the top off the roast all the time. Every time she was cooking a roast, she cut the top off, and finally her husband, because he's probably a little OCD like me, why do you do that? I don't know. My mother did it. Why don't you phone her and find out then why she did that? Mom, why did you always cut the top off the roast before you cooked it? I don't know. Can you find out? Good thing great grandma's still alive. Why did you cut the top off the roast? Oh, because I didn't have a pot big enough. So a family culture got installed simply because someone didn't have a pot big enough to put the roast in. So these things happen. You know, it's like, oh, we have a culture where we don't believe in cars. Why not? I guess because grandpa couldn't afford one. I don't know. And so ideologies and cultures get built this way. And the tribes separated by culture, and they became nations with borders that separated them, and ideologies then that separated them, and, and even corporations. Companies have cultures. You don't believe me? Think Starbucks, Tim Hortons. <laughs> Company cultures, right? It's like, you know, I remember when I first came here. <laughs> And I was meeting with a handful of people, and I just said, this is what we're planning on doing, blah, blah. And so Jared asked me, he says, so what are we, a Starbucks culture or a Tim Hortons culture? And I was like, do I look like a Starbucks guy to you? <laughs> so all of these things, they'll take on the culture of the person who leads them at the end of the day. And as Christians, we are part of a culture that is different than the culture of the kingdom that we find ourselves in being put in. The Bible calls us sojourners. When we come into Christ, we are a new creation. Old things are gone. Behold, all has become new. We are no longer that same person. And so all of a sudden, the values and the things that we believe and the way we live our life, we find ourselves in a counterculture position to the culture of the world that we live in. And so contrary to taking on the culture of the kingdom that we live in, we are called to take on the culture of the one that we serve and call Lord. And this puts us into a, a very different position. So there's two kingdoms that we are dealing with throughout the course of our life here. One, of course, is the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world is developed on the fallen nature of mankind, and it's in complete opposition to the culture of the kingdom of God.
So the foundation of the kingdom of this world is not structured after the nature of God. Because you will read in the word of God where, where Lucifer came into the garden and he deceived Eve and she talked to her husband and, and together they were deceived and they became this fallen people. So the Bible tells us that in the first part of Genesis that man was created or mankind was created because it was not a gender issue at that point. It was mankind, male, female, was then created in the image of God. But you find by the fifth chapter of Genesis it's saying that Adam is producing children after his own image. He's now producing children after his own image, the image of a fallen nature. And so this then was brought about and it changed the cultural positioning of the world. It was no longer now a godly culture. It became an ungodly culture. And if you want to argue that point, think Noah, flood, ark, right? There was a cultural problem in the world and God had to deal with that cultural problem. So the culture of this world is structured after the God of this world or the God of this age, the Bible calls him, and his nature and his ambitions. And if you take a look, if you want to, or write this down in Isaiah 14, 12 through 16, you will find that there is a description of the nature of the God of this world. Isaiah specifically writes about it. And Lucifer, before he was cast from heaven, said, I will ascend as the Most High. I will be as God. And so because of the iniquity that is found in him, God casts him from heaven. And he leaves with a host of the angels and they become fallen beings and they gravitate here and they then take over the culture and begin to impose the culture of their fallen nature on this world. This creates a kingdom culture that is filled with sinfulness. So his nature and his culture are counter to that of God's. It is a nature built on greed. It's a, it's a nature built on covetous. He wanted to ascend. He wanted to usurp God's authority, take what God had. And even when he confronts Jesus after being in the wilderness, he offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. In Matthew chapter 4, I'll give you all of this, all of the kingdoms of the world. I can see Jesus going, dude, they're mine anyway. You're not giving me anything. What he wants, he says, if you will bow down and worship me, he wants to take something from Jesus. He wants to take the being of Jesus. He says, if you will bow down and worship me, and this word worship means to completely empty ourselves and divest ourselves of who we are. So he wants Jesus to divest himself of who he is and give it all to Lucifer. And Jesus says, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and no one else shall thou serve. Understand something. There is a culture in this world that wants to divest you of what God has given you. Wants to divest you of who you are in Christ. Wants to pull you away from who you are in Christ. That's what it does. It takes. It does not give. Think Jews in Egypt going from being productive farmers and powerful members of a society to being slaves, 
to being turned into brick makers and then having to find their own straw during the night to make those same bricks. It's like, take. We want to take some more. We're going to take some more. We're going to take some more. Now we're going to take away your land. We're going to take away your identity. We're going to take away your prosperity. We're going to turn you into slaves. We're going to make you make bricks. And we start by giving you the straw. And then we even take that away. We take that away. That is the culture of this world. John 14, the ruler of this world. Ephesians 2, 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that the God of this age has blinded those who are perishing. You ever, you ever talk to somebody about Jesus and they look at you like, eh? I don't know. I don't get that. I don't feel that. Why, why do you suppose that is? They're not trying to be ignorant. They're just blind. They're just blind. They're blinded to what you're talking about because of the God of this age. It says that he has blinded those who are perishing. He doesn't want the light of the gospel flicked on in their life. He doesn't want that. When, remember when you got born again and it was like a light came on. Wow, all of a sudden you see things you never saw. You understand things you never understood before. I used to think that the church was just full of old women and little children that had nothing better to do on Sunday than hang out in a building and listen to some stuffy guy talk about stuff that he didn't even understand. And then my wife took me to church one day and confirmed it. <laughs> and I looked around and I thought, this has got to change. This has got to change. And I can tell you that in my ministry now, full-time for 25 years and, and part-time and bivocationally for almost 40 years, that I have strived to change that. Look around the room. I don't see that happening here. I see a group of people committed to their walk with Jesus Christ. They're committed to the kingdom of God. They're committed to something greater than being stuffy and old. Because some of the older people in this room are still full of fire. And the fact of the matter is we need to stay that way. Amen? So it's clear from Scripture that his kingdom is diminishing. It's a diminishing kingdom that is perishing. It's a culture. Uh, the, its culture is the nature of the leader. And the nature of the leader is to be fallen. And that's where it comes from. You see, the kingdom then that we're going to talk about for the rest of the message is the kingdom of God. See, this is, this is developed after the nature of the one who created us. This is a different kingdom. The kingdom of God, on the other hand, is a kingdom of giving. It's not a kingdom of taking. You ever notice something that, that people who are down on church will always try to tell you that the church is just trying to take something from you? Namely, your money. They just want your money. That's all they want. You know, I used to, I used to work for this gentleman. He was, a, he was a big Dutch fellow. We had a tree uh, cutting company, an arborist business. And I used to work in one of those aerial buckets way up on the ground cutting trees, you know, or way up in the air cutting trees. And, and he, was a, he was a Christian guy. He was a strong believer. And he used to say to me, he'd say, you know what, Moss? God could make dollar bills out of the carpet if he wants to. But he wants to take them out of your pocket. And he was true, not because God needs our dollars, but because he wants to give us an opportunity to prosper. 
He's providing an opportunity for us. And I'll get into why. You see, the very basis of God's kingdom is the opposite of greed and covetousness. God's kingdom is built on the principles of sowing and reaping, of giving and receiving, not of taking. It's a different culture. It's a different kingdom. And it begins with the very foundation of this kingdom where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Understand something. There is, there is a place where God gave first. He gave first. He said, I, I'm not here to take. I want to give Initially, he gave life. He, he gave a, a sustainable system for us to live in and abide in. And then that fallen culture took over and turned it into a place that depreciated instead of a place that prospered. But God's saying, hey, wait a second, I'm going to start this thing all over again, and I want to give. I want that to be the nature and the culture of my kingdom. And so he initiates that by giving his only begotten son. And if you don't think that has anything to do with giving and receiving, look at this room. He gave, he sowed a son, and he has now, over the last 2,000 years, reaped back billions of sons and daughters adopted into his kingdom, living and prospering under the system of a different kingdom than the kingdom of this world. They are now living in the kingdom of God. Not away from this world, but existing within it to reflect the nature of that kingdom. To influence the kingdom they are living in by living through the nature and the prosperity of the kingdom that they are actually a part of. You see, in his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus points out that God's primary act of redemption was to give. Not to take, but to give. And this is a resounding principle in God's interaction with creation. My scripture today, Luke 7.38 says, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That doesn't mean that you get back exactly what you put in, by the way. It takes a, that thing and it multiplies it back. And if you understand this tradition, when you borrowed a bushel of grain or whatever it was from someone in the culture where this was written, when you came to pay it back, that person would spread out their cloak on the ground and you would pour that bushel of grain back in there and they would shake it and shake it and toss it and let the chaff be blown away and let it all get pressed together and then you would pour in again and they would do it again and you would pour in again and they would do it again and you would pour in again until it was pressed down, shaken together and running over. And God says, if you give, that you will receive back good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. There's no stipulation on what this is. If you give love, you can get it back pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you give of your time, you can get it back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you give of your finances, you will get it back in the same way because Scripture teaches us these very same principles. So not only is God willing to give, but he is able to give because his kingdom 
is built on the principles of giving. And because this is the nature of God and the nature of his kingdom, it should reflect in the culture of his people. See this church that you're sitting in right now was made possible because people gave. It was made possible because people gave. We had, we had maybe 20 adults sat in a room one day and said, we need to buy a building that we have no business buying. And so how are we going to do that? And so we said, should we do this? And all the hands went up, yes. And so we engaged in this thing. I went to bat, got, got finances from our movement to, to, for the down payment, and we, we settled up. We got a mortgage. We had to, you know, sign on the dotted line almost in blood, it seemed. And then the day we opened to much fanfare, half of those people that put up their hands were not here. Because they decided in the end that putting up your hand was one thing, giving to make it happen was something completely different. Now, bless God, God brought us other people who were willing to plug in and, and give and, and to make it all possible. And it seemed at times we'd come into this room and there's just a handful of people in this big room, so we actually we covered up half the seats so it didn't look so bad. Forced everybody down to the front, and, and it was just like we tried everything. We brought the curtains in, made the stage look smaller. You know, we did everything to try to... And it was just all futile. We just said, ah, open it right up, let's go, let's do something. We just continued to give and to give and to give and to give, and today we have a vibrant work here with incredible people serving. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is our responsibility here. We are ambassadors to reflect the nature of this kingdom and reach out and touch the lives of other people. And as ambassadors, we're his representatives. And this principle uh, comes with certain promises that we see from Scripture that relate to sowing and reaping. And there's a promise of exponential return on anything that we are willing to give and to sow. This principle is so deeply entrenched in the culture of God's kingdom that he ingrained it in the earth's creative design right from the very beginning. Genesis 8.22 says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest. There is never going to be a time, as long as this world exists, that there will not be seed time and harvest. You know, the kingdom of this world says that, that we can't produce enough food. There's not enough arable land. My goodness, we've got to kill off old people. We've got to kill off babies. We've got to do all of that because the population of this world is just getting too big. And then on the other hand, they say, get vaccinated so you don't die. Tell me if I'm wrong. They're telling us to stay alive so we can produce, so they can take. But when you get to the point where you can't produce or you're too young to produce, it's okay to discard you. As long as you can produce so we can take. We want you here. But we'll get rid of everybody else because we can't grow enough food. Do you know that statistically, if you took the entire population of the world right now and dropped them in the province of Alberta, that it would not be any more densely populated than the greater Toronto area. Which would leave you, the rest of the entire world, to grow food on to feed those people. And yet, oh no, oh no, we're all dying. Blah, 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 take, take, take. 
You have to understand something. It's the kingdom of this world making you fearful so you'll continue to sow into that kingdom. And God is saying, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. Do not sow into that kingdom. Sow into my kingdom because my kingdom produces back 30, 60, 100 fold, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It's a different kingdom with a different culture. You see, many times in Genesis 1, we're told that each seed produces after its own kind. This plant and animal alike. This is plant and animal alike. You know, you, you sow corn, you get corn. You sow wheat, you get wheat. You sow people seeds, you get little people. <laughs> right? You don't get corn. You don't get wheat. You get people. Each seed produces after its own kind, no matter what. And in everything that God created, there is a seed principle. No matter what it is. And he says, if you will give no matter what, I will give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So ask Pastor Matt, he's got five kids. I know a guy's got 12. I built a house for a gentleman, said he was the youngest of 23, and they were the small family in the neighborhood. <laughs> Guess what province he was from? Anyway. The Apostle Paul uses this principle when commuting to, communicating to the Philippians. Philippians 4, 15 through 17 says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You know that? Giving and receiving. They gave to him, and somehow they received back. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You ever think about the kingdom of God having an accountant? Ever think about that? The apostle Paul thought about it. He said, when you, when you do this, it's fruit to your account. Now you have to realize something. When he went to Philippi, the Macedonians there were poor people. They were poor people. And when he went to Corinth, they were rich people. And so in 1 Corinthians, um, no, sorry, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it talks about this principle where the Apostle Paul is challenging the Corinthians who were wealthy to match the principle of giving that the Macedonians did. And he says, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. He tells them that these people, they rose up with the liberality of their generosity. But they didn't do as we expected, he says. They first gave themselves to God. What's he talking about? The Corinthians were still giving themselves to the kingdom of this world. But he says, not the Macedonians. They gave themselves to the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of the world, but the kingdom of God. And because they gave themselves first to the kingdom of God, God blessed them. And they rose up in the riches of their liberality. Now Philippi became, they became wealthy. This church became wealthy. Because they got involved with the Apostle Paul in giving and receiving. And so it was about receiving that changed them. It was about giving that changed them. It was about receiving that blessed them. 
They received back based on what they were giving. So their giving was provoking a natural response in the culture of the kingdom that they were a part of. So there is the kingdom of this world that if you continue to sow into it, it will continue to take from you. There's the kingdom of God that if you sow into it, it will continue to give to you. You will get a return back. So he uses the terminology giving and receiving, but the principle is the same as sowing and reaping. It's the same principle. And so the culture of giving and receiving goes completely against the covetous culture of this world. That's why one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. Understand, we're not supposed to covet what other people have. We belong to a different kingdom. You know the old keep up with the Joneses thing? You know, it's like, man, the Joneses bought a new house. The Joneses bought a new car. Man, the Joneses got an Escalade. Man, the Joneses got a boat. It's a, yeah, and the Joneses got a mortgage and a whole bunch of payments, and they're in debt up to their eyeballs. They're like one paycheck away from being destitute. Understand something. You give to the, the, the culture of this world, and it will take everything from you. It will take your, your livelihood. It will take your savings. It will take your moral fiber. It will drain the faith right out of you. But you give yourself to the kingdom of God. And all those things will be churn, turned around. You'll increase in faith. You'll increase in wherewithal. You'll increase in stability. You'll increase in moral fiber. Understand, the kingdom of God is completely different than the kingdom of this world. See, when a church receives tithes and offerings from people... It's not because they just want your money. No, they're, they're trying to spark a spiritual response that is promised through God's word. They're trying to spark something. It's like, come on, do it and find out. See, by receiving tithes and offerings from God's people, they are providing an opportunity for God to invoke a blessing upon you. He wants to do that. In fact, Malachi 3.10, he, he talks about it. He says, I'll open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour out for you such a blessing that there's not even room enough to contain it. Try me now in this, says the Lord. He dares us. Try me now in this. You know, I, I oversee Victory Churches all across the, the country and now even internationally. Um, you know, we let the national guys deal with it. But, but in, in my experience, the churches in our movement that do the best are the ones that tithe to the movement. Every single church that we have that is struggling has withheld its tithe. Every single one. And they have just continued to go down and down and down. First they go down in numbers, then they go down in quality of service because they don't have any resources, and then they go down in, in expectation. And then the next thing you know, they're struggling and they're going like, ah, we might have to fold up shop. And yet some little town that doesn't seem to have anything going for it, some little church, and the next thing you know, they're, they're tithing and it starts Monday morning, boom, the tithe check comes in because they know if they hang on to that money longer than Monday, they won't have it to sow. And so they just go, oh, wow, 10%, boom, the check goes into the Victory Village in Calgary. And our accountant, he tallies that all up and, and he sends them reports at the end of the year and it goes into reports that I get. And then I watch. These guys gave two grand last year. Wow, this year they gave four grand. Next year they're on pace for six grand. 
And you go like, how many people you got over there? Oh, it's the same group of people. We haven't grown that way. There's maybe five or six more, but yeah, no, God's just blessing us. And I see this church has got all these people and they go, well, we're not sure about sending in a tithe. And I watch as their giving drops, their congregation drops, their efficiency in ministry drops, everything begins to drop. And they go, we don't know what's going wrong. I say, I do. I know what's going wrong. You stopped tithing. Understand something. God calls us, you know, for the last two years, I've been finding dimes all over this building. I'm serious. I know it sounds stupid. You know, I'm cleaning up after vagrants and I find dimes. Don't they want those dimes? I'm afraid to touch them sometimes. I don't know, is there something on that dime? They don't want that dime? And I'm walking through the building. I find a dime on the floor. I go into the storage room one day and I, and I find a dime on the floor. I'm like, where's the dimes keep coming from? Is God telling me something? 10% of a dollar is 10 cents, right? Understand something. God sends us messages. Now, you might think I'm weird and off the wall, but you tell me why I'm finding dimes. I'll take any explanation about now, but I cannot tell you how many dimes I have found in two years. Some of them I pick up, some of them I just leave there, and I go, I'll wait, I'll see if the vagrants will pick that up. And they leave that dime there. They don't take it. Is there something wrong with that dime? No, I think it's something, God's telling me something prophetically. But there's a value in the 10%. There's a value in the 10th. And we need to take that and, and grab hold of that. Luke 6.38, and I'll close here in about two minutes. It says, give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And my father-in-law, my dad as well, they were ranchers, farmers. And uh, Lucinda's dad was a rancher, beautiful place in the foothills. My dad was more of a homesteader in northern Alberta and, and carved a farm out of the wilderness and, and planted crops. But, but I, I know that if you sow a certain amount of grain on, a, on an acre of land, you can expect a certain amount of return. And it's not the same amount of seed that you put in the ground because you might as well just eat it if you're going to just spend money on fuel and fertilizer to put it in only to get back exactly what you put in the ground. My dad would sow on an acre of land and, and he would think he was doing well at, at 40 bushels to the acre. And, and Lucinda's dad, who was a strong believer in tithing, would sow on the same acre of land the same amount of grain and get back 80 or 90 bushels to the acre. Now you tell me I'm crazy. You tell me I'm crazy. I watched as his neighbors sowed the same amount of seed on the same amount of ground and put the same amount of fertilizer on it, got the same amount of rain, and came out with half the crop. What was the difference? Is, is he better at putting that seed in the ground? Oh, it's his equipment. That's what it is. He's got a higher quality of seed drill. That's what it is. No. Lucinda's dad bought the most economical equipment he could buy, and he prayed as much as he could. And he believed in faith that what he was doing was, was going to be blessed by God. And that crop would come up and all his neighbors would go, what's that Fitzherbert doing? And you know what the difference was? 
They cursed God and he tithed and worshiped God. That's the only difference. They grew up in the same place, grew up with the same knowledge, grew up with the farm the same way, got on the same land on the same hill. And one man is, is getting 80 or 90 bushels to the acre and the other one's getting 40 or 50. You tell me it doesn't work. Understand God will bless us. So here we find the principle again of an exponential return on giving. The grain harvested will always outpace the seed sown. Always. God's kingdom culture thrives on the principle of generous giving and generous return. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, sorry. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. It's just a principle. You sow a little, you reap a little. You sow a lot, you reap a lot. If this is making you feel uncomfortable, squirm in your chair a little bit. What's he talking about? I'm talking about you getting blessed. I'm talking about you enacting the principles of the kingdom that you were born again into. You know what? Oh, don't even get me going on this. You know, you know an expression that bothers me more than just about anything in the world? Poor as a church mouse. I think that he should be the fattest rodent on the block. It's like, he should waddle into the altar area like, man, they feed me well around here. Understand something. That, that poor as a church mouse is the kingdom of this world saying you're wasting your time sowing into the kingdom of God. Because you do that, you go to that church, you're just going to be as poor as a church mouse. And the reality is that religion for hundreds of years has believed it. But they can't sell me that bill of goods. Because i got a word that tells me something different. And I'm not preaching give to get. I'm saying align yourselves with a principle in God's word and he will fulfill the promise he made on that principle. It's not about naming and claiming, kicking a Volkswagen and calling a Cadillac. All you're going to get is a sore foot. It's a Cadillac. It's not that at all. It's about enacting a principle, a truth from God's word. You believe in healing. You believe in the born again experience. You believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You believe in the gifts of the Spirit. You believe in all that stuff. And somebody brings up money and we go, eh, I don't know about that. Does God really want me loaded? I'll tell you what, there's something called the parable of the talents and God will give you what you can manage. He'll give you what you can manage. If you can manage five talents, he'll make sure you give five more. If you can manage two talents, he'll make sure you get two more. If you want to take what he's given you and bury it in the ground, he's going to even take that away from you. That's the principle of stewardship. And when he puts something in us, in our pocket, and he says, a tenth of that is mine. It is holy, says the Lord. He means it. I wasn't going to talk about tithing so much today. Just feel that unction because people like to skirt that issue. Not me, I like to dive right into it. It's part of my OCD nature. Like a dog on a bone. 
Actually, I went to an altar one time. The guy laid hands on me. And he stepped back and he said, you're like a pit bull, man. You don't let something go. So anyway, put on your seatbelt. No, just kidding. This is not just a New Testament principle. It's a kingdom truth. There's no downside to generosity. There's no downside to generosity. We don't give to get. We sow because we can reap. We don't just do it to get. But the word tells us that the more we are blessed with, the more we're able to give. That's why it's on a percentage basis. You know, I know that talking about Alberta in BC is kind of like a taboo. But we had a treasurer many years ago who worked alongside of a premier named Ralph Klein that everybody hated but Alberta loved. And, and he brought this Christian guy into his cabinet and he made him the treasurer. And in a cabinet meeting he said, if we want to prosper as a province, we need to give 10%. We need to enact like a biblical tithe. And we will never take more than 10% from the people. They will sow that in to our province. And all the other provinces in the nation were way higher than that. And some of the cabinet members said, we don't see how this will work. And he said, trust me on this. This is a principle. If we establish this principle in our province, we will never want for anything. Well, that grew to the place where they were able to give back money to the people. They had billions of dollars in reserves. They had all kinds of stuff. And then another government that was smarter said, wow, we're not making enough money. We'll, we'll boost that tax. We'll make it more than 10%. And they've been doing a swirling motion in the porcelain ever since because they went against a principle of God's word. Understand, the premier was not a believer, but he believed the man that was. I trust this man. I see this in his life. And he said, okay, that's it. Flat 10%. We don't, we don't take any more than that. God asked for 10. The province asked for 10. That's it. And they prospered like crazy. Oil flowed. Trees grew. It was just amazing. It was wild to be a part of it and to see it happen. And the instant they changed it, we saw it all begin to fall apart. Wow. If a harvest in the field was only the same seed as sown, it wouldn't be worth putting the seed in the ground. The return on sowing is not from entitlement, but it is from expectation. We challenge God. He challenges us, and he says, you do it and see. And we say, okay, God, I'm doing it. And I'm expecting now because God cannot lie. Scripture says he is not a man that he should lie. He says, I'll bless you for it. He'll bless you for it. But he won't give you more than you can manage. He won't give you more than you can deal with and, and steward properly. Why don't you stand with me today? My takeaway today have to go down to the gym and work out to continue lifting that cup. <laughs> the kingdom culture that you subscribe to will dictate your expectation and level of return. 
So what culture are you subscribing to today? What kingdom culture are you subscribing to today? Do you believe the culture of this world that says, get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on that can? Or do you believe the kingdom of God's culture that says, if you give, it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over? Will men give into your bosom? See, there's a difference in those two kingdoms. One is based on the generosity of God, the God that we serve, and the other is based on the covetous nature of a fallen being that thought he could be God. So I want to pray with you today. I want to pray with you today. So let's just bow our heads today in reverence to God. Father, I thank you. For each and every person in this room, Father, I thank all the people that would be watching online today. I thank you, Father, for touching them and giving them revelation of this truth from your word. And I pray, Father God, that as they sow, as they sow that they do reap according to the promises and the blessings that are attached to it in your word, Father. That seed time and harvest becomes a principle that we live by in every aspect of our lives. And that as we live in this world, we are those ambassadors. And others will look and say, what have they got that we don't have? What is it that we can take from them? Huh. Hopefully it's a revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that God's kingdom is built on a principle of sowing and reaping. Seed time and harvest. Obedience and blessing. And so, Father, I commit them into your hands today that you would pour out upon them, give them a revelation, Father, that goes beyond what they have ever known before. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Matthew. Let's give it up. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Pastor Morris. You know, that's a, that's a powerful message. In a season for many that has been a setback, this is your setup. This is our setup. You see, God's just begun. But victory means the battle's already been won. Victory means that you no longer have to fight for it, but you can fight from it. And I'm telling you, the enemy wants to divest you, but God wants to invest in you. That's why he sowed his one and only son. You know, we said the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any of you to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. His will is that none should perish. His will is that his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're here today and, and, and the message hit you and you had that feeling and you were squirming, it's probably because that part that was squirming was the, the past, the holy cow, I like to say it, that God's trying to deal with. You see, he came to start a relationship, not to start a religion. And that's what he wants to say to you. This morning was not about information, but about the revelation. And he wants you to get this revelation that he is a good God 
He is a generous God. He is a God of more than enough. He's not a God of just enough or just get by. He is a more than enough God. But will you receive it? Will you receive that revelation? Will you receive that relationship? And if you're here right now and you want that, it's a free gift. No one can earn it. It's already been given. It's up to you whether or not you will receive it and watch once you receive it, then you will be able to give. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe that God the Father raised his son from the grave, we will be saved. But redemption comes out of repentance. It comes from that place of being honest with ourselves and knowing that on my own, I'm not good enough. You can strive all you want and you can look to other people to complete you, but the only one that can complete you is Christ. Because at the end of you is the beginning of him. And with him, you will be more than enough. Can we pray together? You know, I'd ask you to just pray this prayer with me right here, right now. And let's invite God super to touch your natural right here, right now. Say, pray after me, say, dear Jesus, I know what it's like to feel like I'm not enough, to not give enough, but I know that you are a God of generosity. Would you come into my heart? Would you be Lord over my life? Would you forgive me of all my sins? I believe that you came, that you died, and that you rose again. Thank you that my past is past. And today is a new day in Jesus' name. I'm just gonna ask you to stay in the moment with your eyes closed, stay in the moment. This is your moment, this is a holy moment. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we're coming back to Jesus. Would you just give me a thumbs up? All oh, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just so I can celebrate with you. Awesome. Right on. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> our God is a good God, and he is worthy of our praise. Can we give God some praise in the house? Come on. Come on. Come on. We're going to stay in a, in a state of, of worship, in a state of praise, and uh, here at College Street, we say, we don't just do church, we're called to be the church. And part of being the church is we are commissioned, it's not a suggestion, to go into all the world, preaching the gospel and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Part of our relationship and walk with God. In Peter 3.21, it says, and this water symbolizes baptism. That now saves also you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. How many of you could use that pledge of a clear conscience? It saves you by the resurrection how? Of Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. And our obedience is to follow Christ. And Christ himself was baptized. And Christ commissions us. And I'm telling you, you'll feel a pushback at times and probably just about when you're about to step in and step out. But when you go through the water, 
In Romans, it says that we are buried with Christ. When we come up out of the water, it says we are resurrected with Christ. New you, new day. So why don't we worship right now? And if that's you and you want to be baptized, if you feel you just want prayer, I'm going to ask that you come forward at this time. And you can, you can get prayer at the front. You can worship at the You just want to come down and worship God at the front. Come on down. And let's worship him together.